Brian Solston is a U.S. Senate candidate running his campaign centered around Bitcoin. More specifically, Brian wants to make Bitcoin legal tender in America. In our conversation, we got into exactly what this means. We discussed how he plans to go from this idea to actually implementing Bitcoin as legal tender. We discussed why he's running for Senate, why this is the correct place for him to put his efforts into making this a reality. Uh, we discussed the implications today of having America run on a fiat standard and the potential benefits of running America on a Bitcoin standard in the future. We also discussed the benefits the Lightning Network can provide, and we discussed some of the second order effects of a Bitcoin standard. Real quick, before we get into the episode, I want to give a shout out to all listeners who are sending in comments uh, on Fountain's new cross out comment feature. I saw a bunch of them on the last episode um, with uh, Brian Murray. Uh, it's really cool to see these, uh, these comments come in, and I'm glad that now you guys can see the comments they're sending in. Um, we're about to hit a milestone on the show, and I think we're going to hit it on this episode. You guys have sent in 485,000 sats to date. We're about to cross 500,000 sats. So thank you everyone for sending in sats. You keep showing your appreciation for this content and I will keep creating content. That is the value for value model. So thank you all for sending in sats. Before we get into the episode, just wanna give a quick shout out. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the premier provider of Bitcoin and Lightning Node infrastructure. We will have more from Voltage later in the show in the Lightning Round and I hope you enjoy this episode. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with you. And uh, I think listeners are gonna find your perspective on Bitcoin really fascinating. But before we get into this, can we explain, can you maybe first introduce yourself to listeners, explain why you're running for US Senate and why Bitcoin is at the center of your campaign? Well, thank you. This is the first podcast I, I, I'm doing since I announced my, my candidacy for the U.S. Senate. Uh, I'm running on Bitcoin. Um, I, I think really the main reason why I'm running is uh, I there's a conversation with uh, with Dennis Porter, and, and uh, we, we believe that we can make uh, Bitcoin legal tender. Now, there's going to be a lot of steps to get there, uh, a lot of baby steps and, and horse trading, but, but the Senate is the best place for, for me to be there to make that happen. And, uh, you know, I wanted to work with my senator. I wrote her, uh, you know, I got an invite to sign up to her newsletter. I, I volunteered time to work with her staff. Um, no response on that, you know, zero interest on the Bitcoin. So, you know, it's time to uh, displace uh, senators that aren't going to be helpful with, with uh, our Bitcoin efforts. Right. Now, can you explain for international listeners, maybe those who aren't familiar about how the U.S. political system works. Why is it that Senate is the right place for you to to run? And why is that the most impactful area for you to focus on? Well, I was actually thinking about running locally, like in the state of Washington and like running for a house rep there or a senator at, at, at the inside the uh, Washington state. But, you know, after reading the, the Constitution multiple times and really understanding the limitations of, of legalizing Bitcoin at a state level, um, I, I just decided it was and, and also having troubles um, getting responses from my my uh, my senator at the U.S. level, at the federal level. 
that's that's when you know I, t- I was talking to Dennis Porter and I said I, I'm 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 going to go for the U.S. Senate and, and he agreed and so it's it's where we can make the difference uh it's you know the the state level efforts are are also important um but i i don't think it's going to be as powerful as let's say the the marijuana efforts and legalizing marijuana at the state level it's it's really going to have some limitations and i think we need we can we can do some really good baby steps uh at 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 the national level at at, at the u.s senate level Hmm. Where did your where did your fascination and your interest in Bitcoin start from? Like, walk me through that journey of how you first uh, learned about it, and then how you realized that it needs to be legal tender. Yeah, I um, I had multiple touch points, but I finally uh, let's say fell down the rabbit hole in in 2017. Um, where I'm really coming from, and I actually talk about my narrative. I I, I think it's unique. I didn't come from from a gold bug perspective. I came from a, from a, a privacy advocate uh, perspective, uh, and I wrote about that in my book Zenimal, um, which is on Zenimal.xyz. And I really don't even recommend that book. I have another page out there that I have other references on that I like. I, I love Jeff Booth's book, uh, The Price of Tomorrow, and there's some other links that I, I really like. Uh, this is my personal nar- narrative, and and where I was coming from is I I was a software developer for a search engine company before. Google was around and we had limitations on what kind of encryption we could do. It was illegal, right? To, to put really good encryption. And, uh, that, that seemed really strange to me. Um, uh, later on, uh, Phil Zimmerman developed PGP or pretty good, um, pretty good protection. And the U S government sued him saying that it was a weapon of mass destruction. And basically the lawyers printed out all the code and they, gave it to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they said, you know, this is free speech. This is not a weapon of mass destruction, and any one. And so I was like, wow, you know, may- maybe there is uh, opportunity for, for privacy. And, and uh, it wasn't until 2017 that I fully understood that Bitcoin is encryption, that there are no backdoors, because this is about money, all right? And, and there's you know, when I'm when I was using, uh, let's say, product lifecycle um, PLM or product lifecycle management systems at Boeing, it's like, you know, I don't trust this stuff. I mean, I think Beijing has access to this stuff. I, I, I really I don't I, I'm not 100 percent confident that, that the designs I'm working on are, are really protected. And and how do I know how do how do we really know that this is safe uh, data? But with Bitcoin, when people are talking about their money, uh, you know that that money is going to disappear. So that's that's like a proof that any data that's associated with it uh, or using the same methods is safe. There are no backdoors. So that's why I really got excited about Bitcoin. I started studying it. So I looked at it from a from a technical perspective in terms of encryption and uh and then I started to learn about, let's call it 1971 gold bug stories. And you can learn those pretty quickly. And it's, it's, then, you, then you start to see how our monetary system is broken and at an accelerated rate. And, and that's a legitimate, um, let's say, uh, ramp onto Bitcoin where a lot of people come from. But, uh, but I, think, I think there's a lot of unique perspectives. There's a lot of, let's say, windows on the same topic. 
Mm-hmm. Did you have any idea that the financial system was broken before you had learned about this 1971 gold I, bug I, kind I, of like narrative? Yeah, I did. And, and that's why when I read Jeff Booth's book, I mean, I just, I just fell in love with that book because I had a lot of these same thoughts, you know, as a young associate engineer, uh, I was doing, um, some nuclear work and petrochemical work for Parsons, uh, when I was fresh out of school. And, you know, as an engineer, I, I had my own cubicle. I, I was an associate. I was only an associate and I had five foot wall cubicles. And I remember the vice president, I mean, this was a big company, the vice president of the company, like knocking on my cubicle door to come chit chat with me. And, you know, and, and then later as, I, as I'm a senior at Boeing, you know, you, you have what three foot walls and you're put together like a, a fishbowl and uh, you know, managers are, are really pushing on you to push your signing off on requirements and so, so on. And I'm thinking, you know, this is really different 30 years later. And I, I, I have a perception that this is a broken monetary system. Um, you know, our, our engineering, our, our manufacturing, our design is fl- flowing to foreign countries. We aren't competitive. We're bringing in foreign workers to, to do the work here, um, being replaced by them. And, uh, and so, yeah, when, when, when you realize that productivity keeps going up, but your real wages are actually flat for decades, uh, yeah, there's a problem. And so, so Jeff Booth's book, when I read that, it's like he, he, he explains it in a very articulate way. I just synced up with that. Mm, interesting. I think a lot of people will find that fascinating. The, the link that you're describing between manufacturing jobs leaving America and a broken financial system or, or a monetary system that is dependent on the U.S. being having reserve currency status. Can you explain that link and exactly how that works? That when the U.S. has reserve currency status, it, it may tend to uh, push jobs overseas. Can you kind of just break down well, how that works? With yeah, I, and, and let me let me reference uh, WTF happened in 1971.com. They have a really good graphic there where they show a line how productivity keeps going up. And then 1971 hits. 1971 happens, you know, where we, we, we created the fiat experiment. Uh, the U.S. dollar was no longer tethered to gold. It, it was just now fiat. And, and you can see that real wages flatten out after that. And uh, the reason why is because we are at an accelerated rate. We're, we're transforming to a centralized economy rather than a free market. When, when you do money printing, that is a centralized economy. And it, it's really no different than like in the Communist Man- Manifesto. Um, there's a, on the platform number five, it's, it's, you, they want to centralize credit. You know? So this is, uh, this is fiat currency as you print, as you're doing quantitative easing and that is incre- increasing every 10 years, perhaps by order of magnitude um mm. yeah we we are a centralized economy now and even more so in the future would it be fair to say then that you believe the u.s dollar maybe doesn't doesn't fully live up to the american values of uh of liberty and, and freedom and, and markets free markets and maybe bitcoin does offer a solution there or well i think the think u.s about? dollar u.s dollar really did represent uh money 
free market. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a weapon. Uh, it was a, you know, U.S. Treasuries were a pristine uh, asset. But as as it's being used, um, it, it's losing that value as 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 a pristine asset. And uh, Bitcoin clearly is being demonstrated to be that pristine asset. You know, you look at the what's happened in Hong Kong. You, you look at what happened in Canada recently with the truckers. You look at what's happening with uh, with Russia. What, what is it? A um, hundred. I, 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 this number is wrong, but I think it's like one hundred sixty billion dollars in U.S. treasuries that were frozen by the G7 recently in Russia. You know, well, I, I think China has something like one trillion U.S. treasuries. I, and that number is probably wrong, too, but I'm guessing. So they're going to, you know, they're waking up and thinking this is a liability. You know, they have been dumping U.S. treasuries. They're going to probably accelerate that um, with quantitative easing, perhaps slowing down. Yeah, this is the U.S. The U.S. dollar is at risk now. They They are probably going to lose their hegemony you know even just recently uh saudi arabia is looking at using the yuan to to sell oil uh, instead of the u.s dollar which is if you, if you ever looked into how the petrodollar worked that's further going to weaken the u.s dollar so yeah bitcoin is becoming um it's becoming uh, like you said in, in your question how did you say that kevin well, it seems like it's it's expressing some of the American values of like um, liberty and, and free markets, and and it seems like that yeah. is, you know, as you mentioned, like a pristine asset that cannot be taken away, cannot be censored, cannot be inflated away. Free free market, yes. Bitcoin is yeah. free market. Unlike these these other fiat currencies, they are not free mm -hmm. market. The the. <laughs> The, you know, the Beijing CCP uh, yuan is not free market. The, the, the Canadian dollar just demonstrated it is not free market. And, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, and the U.S. Um, and the G7 freezing these, these U.S. treasuries in Russia is demonstrating that the U.S. dollar is not free market. So how do we get out of this situation? If we... If we take on the assumption right now that all the fiat currencies that exist are not free market currencies. They're not living up to what we think they should be. How do we make the transition from having fiat money uh, that's not living up to, to what we need it to do, but in a, in a debt-based economy where we have record high levels of debt as well, um, knowing the circumstances we're in, how do we make a transition from today to something like a Bitcoin standard without having a big, you know, can we do this without having some deep recession or some systemic failure along the way? Is there a way to make a peaceful transition there? Yeah, I, I think that uh, we can we can engage in what I what I perceive as the hydraulic effect. And uh, and that is you see the uh, U.S. treasuries as they start to decline in, in value. Um, you'll see Bitcoin increase and it's just, you're going to see this hydraulic effect start to kick in. It really hasn't happened yet because what Bitcoin is worth less than $1 trillion. That's not a lot. Um, but, but eventually as, as Bitcoin becomes more valuable, that, that hydraulic effect will become more, uh, you know, observable. 
Um, mm. I, I, I think it's going to honestly, I think it's going to happen regardless of me or you or anyone else in the Bitcoin community. I, I think it's inevitable. But um, what I think we're really interested in is um, we want to be part of that that wave uh, because the United States, the sooner we can get involved in this, the more benefit we're going to get out of it. I mean, we're I know, mm-hmm. you know, senators are doing a lot of good work that is, you know, saving Americans millions of dollars, perhaps billions of dollars. But this fixing our monetary, mon- our broken monetary system, this is reducing friction in the trillions. I mean, this is this is a big issue. I, I Everything else just seems to be. Secondary, you know, I, I mean, right. the reason why this is so important is. Fixing our, our monetary system, our broken monetary system, impacts so many things. I mean, homelessness. Um, we'll get into this later in later on, and, yeah. and why homelessness is is increasing. Increasing. It's because of our broken monetary system. Yeah, you've got you've got you've written some really interesting stuff on on some of the different use cases for Bitcoin and some of the ways Bitcoin affects the economy. We'll get into that in a second, but I, I want to keep going on this thread here. Uh, up, tied to politicians and Bitcoin, because, you know, what you just said uh, about senators and supporting new initiatives and, and helping the country, I've, I've noticed there's there's now a bit of a, a senators seems like have taken note to Bitcoin um, in America. And there's there's politicians on both sides that are uh, increasing their, they're being increasingly vocal about it. So you have on, on the one hand, um, Politicians that are in favor of Bitcoin, on the other hand, politicians that are against it and think that it's uh, a threat. Um, what do you think that, how, how does this evolve from here? Do you think that we're now at the point where all politicians should be taking a stance on Bitcoin? Have we reached that critical mass where it's now an important national issue for every politician to consider? Um, what happens if you end up on the wrong side of that? Do you think like obviously, I, you and I are, are biased towards believing that Bitcoin is a force for good. If you're on the if you're on the side that says it's a force for bad, how does that impact your chances in an election? I've just got so many questions about how the political landscape evolves as Bitcoin adoption increases. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, just just generally. I I think well, how I got into it is I I became a single issue voter. I. I I, I sent, uh, I communicated to my representatives that, that this is what I was, and uh, and these are my concerns, and and the ones that replied and like uh, House Representative, Representative uh, Susan Delbany, she was very responsive and she's doing some great work, but others, it's not on on their radar. It's it's you know this kind of technology just goes right over their head, and. They don't get it. I think this is mostly a generational thing. Young people really understand the technology. They're very interested in it. In it. And the, you know, the the really older senators, uh, they're missing the boat on this one. They they don't they don't they don't think it's an issue. Well, you know, they may not be interested in Bitcoin, but I can assure you the Bitcoiners are interested in them. And uh, we're going to mm-hmm. find out in 2022 that those who do not pay attention, they're going to find out how vibrant, how, how um, powerful the Bitcoin community is. This is this is under the radar right now, but they're going to find out the hard way. 
how important this this uh, this political um, topic is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think there's still a set of skeptics that tend not to believe that this can be a real thing. There's a, I, I hear this often from from Bitcoin skeptics that you know it, it can still be banned, it can be shut down, you can shut down all the exchanges. What do you say to a skeptic who hasn't quite realized how important this technology is and has genuine fears about, you know, their money being shut down if they have an exchange or, you know, whether or not they can access their money? Um, you know, there's there's definitely uh, some level of fear on the on the skeptic side still. How do you how do you calm those fears and reassure people that their money is safe and this is a this is a useful technology to adopt? You know, where I spend most of my time is with networking with other Bitcoiners. And I, it's like it's like Satoshi Nokomoto said, if you don't get it, I don't have time to help you out. Uh, he wrote that. And, and, and I've, kind, I've kind of gotten to that point. I, I'm happy to discuss Bitcoin with people that are interested, but I'm, I'm really not interested in in trying to help other people that are not interested. When, when they're at this point where, yeah, I, I want to learn about Bitcoin, I'll talk about it for you know, two hours, no problem. It's my favorite topic. But but right. uh, I, I cannot help those people that are tuning out. Yeah, yeah. That. yeah that's fair. Um, okay, so I want to get into specifically Bitcoin legal tender and how we get from today where this is, this is the center of your campaign, this is something you really want to push forward in America. Yeah. How do we get Bitcoin to become legal tender in the U.S. Can you maybe walk through what some of those steps might look like? How long this process might take? What what are what do you think? And what's what's your vision for how this turns into reality? Well, I, I wrote that on my platform, and uh, and that is zero tax for for Bitcoin transactions, and uh, and that work is actually moving forward right now. Um, like Susan Delvaney, she has. Um, in the house, she's doing. Uh, she has a bill that has uh, up to two hundred dollars. Uh, Senator Lummis, she has a bill for up to six hundred dollars. Uh, if that were to and happen, that would say again, Kevin. And that's tax free, right? That's two hundred or six hundred dollars tax free. Tax free, and, and that's extremely significant. This is a spark that will light light a large fire, uh, because people will be able to use their Lightning Network. You know, buy the proverbial coffee. Uh, at, the, the transaction is not only uh, fast but effectively free. You know, if you're using like Strike, it'd be like a cost of a penny. If if you're if you're using a, a you know some of these other wallets, uh, one five hundredth of a penny. I mean, it's it's just a fraction. It's it's effectively free. Uh, so it's it's cheaper than Visa. It's fast. The finality is faster than Visa and Mastercard. This is a d- disruptive technology. Uh, it's you know it's it's great for remittance across nations. It, 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 it expands way beyond just buying the proverbial coffee. So really, mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, a monetary system that becomes a global monetary system, and it mm-hmm. it, 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 redu- it greatly reduces all this friction that we're currently have having to deal with because of uh, fiat. Um, mm. So I, I actually have this, uh, I, we can discuss this in more detail on one of my uh, use case scenarios. 
Yeah, yeah, let's get into that. You, you wrote down uh, 22 different use cases for Bitcoin. And this was in response to uh, Minneapolis Fed President, uh, I believe it's Neil uh, Kashkari. I'm going to get the name wrong, but uh, I think that's yeah. who it is. And, and can you explain more about why you wrote this and what some of these, we can start to walk through some of these use cases for Bitcoin um, that you wrote down. Yeah, I, I was in El Salvador just before the it became legal tender down there. And I was just I was hanging out for five weeks and hanging out with other Bitcoiners. And, um, you know, he said he said, I've not seen any use case other than funding illicit activities like drugs and prostitution. This is what our, our central banker or, or the, the Fed Reserve president in Minneapolis you know, Neil Kashkari, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, this guy is a U.S. official uh, and he's, in my mind, purposely misleading the U.S. public on what Bitcoin is. Uh, you know, this idea of of drug use and prostitution, it, 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 it's a it's a public ledger, you know, to, to hide if people want to do money laundering, they're going to use cash. Or even better, if you're doing large amounts of money, you're going to use real estate. You know, th these are proven methods for laundering. Uh, Bitcoin is a public ledger. It's traceable. It's not It's not a good place to do mon money laundering. So I thought this guy was, I felt he was purposely me misleading. And central banks around the world are, you know, coming up with the same kind of false narrative. So I thought, you know what, I, I, I want to write this down. And I just started writing. I, I started working on it. I spent a lot of time on this, just a little bit every day for about a month. And I continue to work on it because the truth is, is there's, I only have 22, but there's, there's, a, there's 100 different use cases out there. This, this is just a small subset of what Bitcoin is useful for. Mm -hmm. And so you, you broke some of these down. You have, you have these kind of grouped up into a few, a few buckets, a few different um, elements here. The first five, can we go through some of those? You cover fiat debasement and, and Bitcoin's store of value properties. Can you explain the importance of some of those features? Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, for your users, users, if you want to go look at this list, go to zenimal.xyz and then click on use cases. And you'll see this list so you can follow along, along if you want. And if you, if you, you can DM me if, you, if there's any of these that you think I can improve. I'd love to hear from you. But the, the first one, and I'd say hedges against fiat debasement, uh, you, you, you could say hedges against inflation, same thing, right? Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear from different news media, oh, Bitcoin is not good for hedge against debasement because they're looking at this very small window. If you zoom out, it's a very good hedge. And, and when, when critics of Bitcoin say, it's not a hedge against inflation. I, I, I wrote this down on the first use case. Uh, in 2009, Satoshi Nokomoto posted the root problem. I'm going to read this because this is really important of what Bitcoin, the reason why it was made. Uh, the root problem with conventional currency is all that, all the trust that's required to make it work. The central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency. But the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of that trust. So, you, you mm. know, when the central bankers, they're all doing it, they're all printing, you know. So they're saying, no, 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 that's not the problem. It's Bitcoin. Um, no, printing money is theft. 
okay, it's counterfeiting. It's a problem. It's a big problem. And the problem is just once you start down that slippery slope, the problems keep accelerating. And and so, mm-hmm. you know, the MMTers, you know, they've been around really since 1971, since this fiat experiment started. But that now the MMTers, the, you know, modern monetary theory, they're, they're trying to say, no, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, the magic money printer at the Fed, this is wrong. Uh, it, it, it is it is seriously destroying our 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 free market system. And it's mostly impacting the poor and the middle class. It's eviscerating both classes. Mm. And I guess there can be a level of confusion because, as you mentioned, all the central bankers at the same time are printing. And on the surface, that makes it look that makes all those other fiat currencies kind of stay in tandem with each other roughly because they're all going through that same process. And to an outsider, yeah, it looks like they're all kind of, you know, calmly in that same exchange rate between themselves. But when you look, when you, when you compare them against Bitcoin, you see, obviously, they're all trending towards zero pretty rapidly. They are. And, um, and you know, they all have to try to peg to reality somehow. And, and how the U.S. dollar has done it, uh, what, since 1974, it was the petrodollar. We, we were really, you know, oil was the currency. And we were pegging to that with our relationship to Saudi Arabia and the other OPEC uh, countries with with uh, basically we, we would provide them protection with our military if they would buy U.S. treasuries and price their 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 oil in U.S. dollars. And so that created an artificial demand. And uh, that's how the U.S. dollar was, let's say, pegged to reality. But but even more importantly, since 1971, we have uh, we have been manipulating the money the interest rates down right and now we're close to zero and uh, we can't do that anymore so we've we've come to the end of this very large debt cycle and Mm -hmm. uh and so how do we how do we connect the the money back to reality some kind of currency or some type of commodity you know like gold uh that that that's a serious need right now. How, how is that going to happen? That, that's a big question. Mm. And do you think in the next few decades, we will still have a U.S. dollar? Or is this something, do you think that Bitcoin comes in and replaces a dollar entirely? Is, is it a dollar backed by Bitcoin? Um, what does the U.S. dollar's status look like if we pursue this path of making Bitcoin legal tender, holding it on the country's balance sheet, how does the U.S. dollar evolve from there? Well, I, I think the U.S. dollar is like the Venezuela um, money. It just keeps on debasing forever. You know, it doesn't ever really die. It just keeps debasing at an accelerated rate. And uh, and w- what's what's really special about Bitcoin is the proof of work. That that proof of work uh, is is the connection to reality because, you know, money is just a ledger. And and how does this relate to, you know, work and time and so on? Well, that that proof of work is, you know, fiat has no real connection 
and uh, you have to build relationships to to create artificial demand for this funny money. And uh, mm -hmm. that's that's what's special about about Bitcoin is yeah you, you know people can make all kinds of altcoins and say hey look, we're going to save time or money or whatever well you're going to fall into that whole MMT line of thinking it doesn't hold water you know uh, so so really that's what's special about Bitcoin is it was the innovation well it was one of the innovations multiple innovations that were brought together like a recipe. Um, hmm. but, but proof of work was one, you know, let's call it the, the Adam back hash cash that was brought, that, that was cited in the white paper and it became proof of work. That, that is a, a very important innovation in the, the, let's call it the recipe of Bitcoin. Hmm. Now I want to get into some of the other use cases here. So we talked about fiat debasement and its store of value. We even touched on proof of work. Um, let's get into bitcoin's ability to be a medium of exchange and the lightning network okay and how how you view yep. those components um evolving over time okay so yeah we're going to skip over a few of them and 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 uh i i wrote down basically four points on that you know store of wealth medium of exchange at the primary network medium of exchange on at the secondary network the lightning network and then i even get down into global unit of account uh, the easiest one, best store of wealth, Bitcoin has proven itself to be the best, best store of wealth over the past, you know, 10 plus years. Um, it has, well, the best stock to flow scarcity model, you know, plan B, uh, that pseudonym on Twitter, he really brought that to the Bitcoin community's awareness. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, that was like, you know, the curtains opened with, with uh, Plan B's uh, work in that area. Uh, if, if your viewers aren't familiar with stock to flow, like gold has a slower flow to stock than silver. And copper has, or silver has a slower flow to stock than copper. And that's why gold is a better stock, or it's a better store of value than, than silver, because if, if, you know, uh, prices go up, the production of silver goes up, and it brings it back down. And copper is the same way. And uh, and that's why uh, as gold um, has a very, very slow flow to stock, uh, that's why, you know, if, if gold goes up in price, it doesn't matter. They can't really in, in, increase production. So it's a very valuable mm -hmm. uh, store of wealth. Now, Bitcoin, as we go through these halvings every four years, it's going to have a better stock to flow than gold. Uh, and so it's only 21 million. Uh, that's, that's one of the most important ingredients in this, in this, this recipe. Mm -hmm. And then how do we then take that store of value component and then evolve that into a medium of exchange uh, over time? And where does, where does this fit in in terms of the U.S. economy? How, how do you view Bitcoin adoption um, happening on that medium of exchange level? Is this something that comes from top-down guidance that says everyone has to now accept Bitcoin? Is this something yeah. that happens organically? How do you see that evolving? Well, that's that's why I'm running for, for Senate. But let me slow this down. I want to back up just to the best store of wealth. There's, there's two important co concepts here. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is a decentralized network. And I'm, I'm really, I love talking about decentralized currency. That's what I'm really interested in uh, about, about Bitcoin now. Um, 
Metcalf's law, it, it the value of the network goes up by an order of, uh, not, what is it, by the power of two? I forget exactly, but every time you add somebody to the network, it isn't going up in a linear way. It's going up in an exponential way. It's like the number of number of users on Facebook, the value of Facebook goes up exponentially because it's not just one connection, it's, you know, many connections. Like one telephone isn't useful, two telephones, okay, you can talk to one person. You have five telephones, you can have 25 different connections. So the value of the network goes up exponentially. Uh, with Bitcoin, we're going through the same Metcalf's Law thing. It's, it, you know, we may be growing 30% a year with, with, uh, with users, you know, with active addresses. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's with Metcalf's law, the value is on average been going up, you know, more than a hundred percent a year. So, so that's not just happening on the primary network. It's starting to happen on the secondary network, lightning network, and there's going to be other secondary layer networks and they're locking up Bitcoin. So it's really two layers of Metcalf's law, uh, that, that's starting to kick in. And, and the third thing is, this is an important concept for best store of wealth is when you become a pristine asset, like a U.S. treasury or real estate, when people, um, you know, they, they want to store their time, their work, their energy, it will flow to, you know, the, the, the best stock to flow, because they don't want, want it to evaporate away. They don't want it to melt away like the U.S. dollar. And so this is why people mm -hmm. buy real estate. This is why people buy hard assets, is to, is to protect their time, their work, their energy. And uh, and so as as Bitcoin increasingly is recognized as having the best stock to flow, uh, the best hardest as asset out there, you're going to see more more and more savings time and work flowing into that into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but and but, but, but oh, go ahead. Let, let, let me let me move forward with with what you asked previously. And that was a medium of exchange because, uh, yeah, Bitcoin clearly is, you know, the best store of wealth as as we go through these halvings. Uh, but the best medium of exchange. Um, I. I think, uh, you know, on the on the on the Bitcoin network. Clearly, if you want to move a billion dollars from London to England, you're not going to, you know, send gold over there. Uh, you can m move a billion dollars from England to New York uh, with a Bitcoin transaction, and it, it will cost you a dollar, or sometimes less, maybe two or three dollars, or, or or in the pennies. So we're pr that's that's already being done. So uh, as a medium of exchange for large transactions, yeah, it, it is the best. And if you want to talk about medium of exchange for everyday transactions, like buying coffee uh that's coming the only thing we have right now stopping us the friction that we have involved is is politics it's it's our government trying to decree you will use this this fiat currency and when i was down in el salvador uh that that's that's when i you know you can go and buy a beer for a dollar fifty and you don't have that friction and that's where you know it's more secure than visa it's more more private than visa it's more inclusive than Visa. All you have to have is a phone and, you know, download a wallet and put some money in it or put some Bitcoin 
or Lightning Network SATs into it, and you're good. And so it's inclusive where 70% of the people in in, in El Salvador didn't, weren't banked, right? They, they, they were the unbanked. But now roughly mm-hmm. 70% of the people in El Salvador have a wallet, and they don't have to get on a bus to go pay their utilities. They can just pay it using digital currency and a, even more importantly a decentralized digital currency that can't be manipulated and mm-hmm. um and then also it has even more transaction lightning network as you know has more transaction capacity than than visa so this is truly a disruptive technology and the only thing that's really in the way is uh, and, and it's new i mean uh, it, it, this is this is just emerging uh, but really, what's the only thing that's standing in the way is is, is our politicians. They're in the way, and we we need mm. to, you know, that's why I'm running for U.S. Senate. Senate. I, I got to tell you, I when I was there, I think I was in in El Salvador for uh, in September of 2021, and uh, yeah, I've been down there for five weeks, and and I'd orange pilled this bartender, and it was my last day there, and I said, you know, let's let's just do. A, a video and upload this to Twitter. And uh, so I I bought a beer for a dollar fifty and we did the transaction and, and it, it you know it, it went from my iPhone to his iPad in less than two seconds and it confirmed. Um, and I uploaded that and nobody had really seen that. Uh, well a lot of people had seen it, but the Reddit community, the vast majority of people hadn't seen how easy the transaction was in really buying something you know because before that it was kind of theoretical and you know done by the the programmers and demonstrations but here we were just buying a dollar fifty beer in el salvador and it was upvoted like four thousand times and trended and it was just a junkie you know one-off so what i'm saying is this is new technology uh the lightning network the second layer network of bitcoin is just emerging and it's been it's it's now proved out in el salvador so yeah we can we can uh you know we don't need to we don't need to tax bitcoin for up to 200 dollars, according to delvini or loomis is saying up to 600 dollars. and i want to keep pushing that forever up and up uh, as far Mm. as no we shouldn't be taxing this 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 is money and we should have yeah. no friction on that. We should not be taxing, you know, the poor and the, the middle class. This is those those kinds of taxes are, are um, very damaging to to everyday people. Where do you think Bitcoin is going to be most impactful as a medium of exchange? Because we've we've highlighted a few different buckets of transactions. You first mentioned some of the the high value payments that you might do on chain if you're sending a billion dollars. Um, you then mentioned some of the, the everyday usage payments that you might do on Lightning um, because maybe it's only a few dollars and the payment fee on that is going to be basically nothing. And then there's also going to be a bucket, I think, of microtransactions, everything like below a dollar, maybe even below a penny, things that are not possible at all on fiat system. Which of those kind of, if we, if we break it down to like three buckets, which of those three buckets do you think is going to be most um, Bitcoin's going to have the most impact on? Uh, I, I think they're all three 
extremely important. You know, the, the big transactions on, on the Bitcoin network, Lightning network, and other second layer networks uh, are, are going to, you know, it, it, Lightning network, its growth is kind of slow right now. You know, it's El Salvador and, and, and other places around the world. But you're going to see that accelerate and you're going to get S-curve adoption. And you, that, that S-curve adoption is going to be very parabolic on, on the low end. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of trailing kind of flat and it's, it's, it's turning up. Um, but the mm-hmm. let's call it the microtransactions that are beyond Lightning Network, beyond buying a beer, beyond buying a, a coffee. Uh, or just daily groceries and, and, you know, Amazon. I mean, most, most purchases are under $200. Uh, they are not, you know, in the $20,000 range for a car. Those are, those, those are very rare. The microtransactions, I, I think, I think the microtransactions are exciting to me because you're really talking about, um, ultra secure, um, applications. Right now, we have a bunch of walled gardens. You know, you have Google and you have Facebook and you have different product lifecycle management and computer-aided design. And and how can you really trust these these networks? Um, yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of doubt. I mean, a lot of our designs are ending up over in, in you know, over in China with aerospace. And, and so uh, how we can uh, leverage that those microtransactions is we, we know those are ultra secure it's money we know if there's a leak in the system pretty right away because those those leaks are going to be exploited by by uh people that are trying to steal um but by using those very secure networks we can pass a little bit of information and use that to configure networks that can you know cut right through firewalls and so we can build uh networks peer-to-peer networks. We don't need the intermediaries. It's not a, so Bitcoin is proving out this, this method where the real innovation was no double spend, right? Um, without an intermediary. Now that, that same model is going to be copied and pasted for using uh, ultra secure applications where you can work with your colleagues and you don't need an intermediary. You don't need to centralize. We can decentralize these these ultra secure applications. So I think they're all all very important. Bitcoin, uh, the secondary networks such as Lightning Network, and the the the, the emerging third level third layer applications is it's going to be big. Mm-hmm. You know, ten years from now, it's going to be very big. Do you have a sense for what some of those emerging second and third layer applications, uh, maybe maybe an interesting one that you're that you really want to see happen? Um, yeah, and, and I, something that maybe the community is talking about yet. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it, and, and I'm I'm a STEM advocate. I, I think it, it impacts, you know, as we go through this digital transformation for science and technology and engineering and manufacturing. That's that's the big competition in the world right now. How do how do we go through the digital transformation and stay competitive. Uh, that, uh, I, I, there, there is an application out there that's, that's moving, um, forward on this and let's see, what, what is the name of it? it it's, um, 
question. I, I want to say, I, I'm sorry. I, is it the, are you, is the impervious browser? Is that what you're thinking? Impervious dot. Impervious. Yeah. Yeah. Dot yeah. OI. Yeah. Impervious. They're doing great work on this third, you know, third layer application. Yeah. It's, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and they are, they are a pioneer. And, uh, so yeah, that's what we're going. And, and we need to go that way for science, technology, engineering, and man manufacturing. I, I think, you know, okay, I, I'm going to get kind of out there right now, but I, I really believe in, in the STEM singularity. I, we're going to go there, okay? Single source definitions, but we can do it in a distributed way that's ultra, ultra reliable, just like Bitcoin. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, with the, with the right vision, uh, we can get other, you know, I, I think NASA could be involved. I mean, the, the idea of, hey, let's, let's, let's try to colonize new worlds with, by knowledge alone. We don't even need to send, send astronauts. Now, I, I remember I was at NASA one time, and, and they're saying, I mean, what, what, what do we have to do astronauts? I mean, it's dangerous. We can be using, um, you know, we don't need astronauts to be doing these dangerous missions. And, and I was told by NASA, well, we want to capture the youth or the imagination of the youth. And just going, wow, this is what NASA is like competing with Disney. You know, I mean, this is a joke. Um, really, I, I would like I would like us to be serious about pursuing our, our STEM strategy, science, technology, engineering and manufacturing. And uh, and Bitcoin has, has shown us a. a, a a template of how we can really accelerate the digital transformation of all, all four of those. Mm. Um, okay. So I want to get through a couple more. You have a few more points to, to cover on this, on this use case document. I want to specifically move over from medium exchange and lightning to now uh, energy. I know that's a, that's a hot topic right now in uh, in politics and even in the Bitcoin community, there's just been a lot of discussion about how, you know, the pro-Bitcoin advocates say it's not actually a, it's not the energy waster that everyone says it is. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of renewable energy. There's a lot of um, energy that is wasted and that is that Bitcoin can can tap into. It can tap into energy in places that that cannot transport energy efficiently. Um, what are your thoughts on the Bitcoin energy debate right now and how it's being perceived today in Washington? Well, that's actually, that relates to uh, use case number 16. And that's my biggest use case in terms of, you know, the words that I use. Uh, I've rewritten that more than any use case that, that I've had. This is a very complex topic. Uh, it's, it's a hot button for a lot of people. Um, th this is the reason, okay, I'm a fiscal conservative. I'm a Bitcoiner, right? But I'm also, I'm a Democrat. I, I am a, uh, I'm a social liberal. And the reason why I am is because I'm a conservationist. And, uh, and I know that really, you know, libertarians and, and let's say let's, our Texas Bitcoiners, you know, they're, they're into the, let's call it the, the Houston narrative. And, uh, they, do not like conservation. You know, this idea of climate change is, is a farce. And, okay, I, I believe 
climate change is a is a concern. I mean, I mean is it is a real issue? It's it's a it's a significant issue that we need to address. Yet at the same time, uh, you know, oil is the most d- energy dense um, energy out there. Oil is it's it's really cheap energy, and it, it drives our economy. It's it's critically important. Um, and Bitcoin is is has proof of work because you know we're not mad, magic monetary theory, right? Uh, you can't just print Bitcoin. There's 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 work there. It's a, it's an honest ledger, unlike the fiat. And so the proof of work, um, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of MMTers and and uh, let's call them Keynesians uh, that want to, uh, conflate these environmental issues with Bitcoin. They want to say, you know, you should not be, uh, using all this energy. It's wasteful. Uh, you're, you're, you're polluting, you know, this is a climate change issue. Senator Warren's always conflating this. Uh, I, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's misinformation. Uh, I, I believe that Bitcoin is, is ESG. It isn't just high in terms of ESG, it is ESG. And what is ESG? You know, it's environmental, um, social, and governance, right? And 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 there's there's a reason why Bitcoin is environmental. First of all, fiat is an environmental disaster, and Bitcoin is actually the apex environmental solution. And this ties in with with Jeff Booth's book. When you when you really start to understand that um, what the fiat system represents in terms of its hyperconsumption, this Keynesian hyperconsumption, how how can you how can you move conservation forward when we have a monetary system that keeps on increasing the stimulus, increasing the consumption, and now we're to the point of hyperconsumption um, just to keep the economy going. Uh, the monetary system has to be fixed so that conservation is rewarded so people can save without that money being inflated away evaporated away by 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 this stimulus by by debasing the money by inflation um this this is you know robbing money from from the poor from the middle class uh so so yeah this is a very big topic and i actually write down you know, five different bullet points just on that one use case. And this is very important. Let let me just read the first one. Bitcoin, this is the first bullet point under the use case where, you know, fiat is the environmental disaster, is an environmental disaster, and Bitcoin is the apex environmental solution. And here's why. Bitcoin flips the incentive from debt accumulation and hyperconsumption to savings and conservation. Does, Does that... Does that make sense to you, Kevin? It does make sense. I, I then wonder, my next question though, when, when you speak about that, my next question is, how do we make that transition uh, without any serious negative consequences in the meantime? Because these are two polar opposites, right? It's like yeah. rapidly accumulating debt versus ra- trying to conserve and save. And, and it's a very different framework for people to make that transition and with a with a very interconnected economy uh, with millions hundreds of millions of participants um, I worry about how 
that happens without negative consequences? Is there a way to make a transition like that smoothly? Well, the, the transition is going to happen regardless of whether we want it to or not. And, and that's what I call the, the hydraulic effect. It's going to happen. USD is, uh, United States dollar is going to devalue. It's going to devalue at, at an accelerated rate. And, uh, and Bitcoin is going to increase in value. So you're going to get this hydraulic effect. And game theory is whoever gets involved with this first is going to get rewarded the most. And nation states are going to get very involved in this game theory at an, at, at an accelerated rate, you know. So um, the, how, how, do we, how do we do that transition? It's going to happen. But the question is, is how do we benefit from that? As, as, as a nation, and that is we need to reduce the friction. We need to stop taxing Bitcoin. And it starts with, you know, $200 limit, then $600 limit. We keep moving it up. And then we can start uh, demonetizing all these other assets that are it's, it's just so harmful to, to our economy. How do you relay the benefits of, you know, I, I, like, I like the hydraulic analogy you're using here where, um, the, the first to kind of step in and tip the scales towards Bitcoin are going to be the ones that benefit the most. Um, how do you then communicate that to other politicians in the U.S. and try and get a, uh, a movement together to get America to adopt Bitcoin first and benefit from it, you know, disproportionately um, when America has you know this privilege of being reserve currency status today and you know it's entrenched in the in the current fiat system and you know there there may be strong opposition that says hey we're doing all right now we've got this reserve currency thing it's doing it's been you know it's it's held up our economy for a hundred years how do you get people to reframe their thinking urgently so that you, the U.S. can be among those first adopters of Bitcoin. Let me let me answer that question. I just want to back up to the previous question just momentarily. Uh, I, I want to clarify uh, when people say, "Oh, Bitcoin is bad for for the for the climate." Let's not conflate the monetary system with with climate change. Uh, and what I mean by that is using computers isn't a problem for the climate. You know, use, computers using electricity, no big deal. That's not impacting climate change. It's burning fossil fuel. Let's stay focused on what the problem is. Burning fossil fuel is the problem. And so we do need to move towards, we need to transition towards the electrification of, of our nation. We, we, we already did that once, which was why we, we moved forward in, in terms of being, you know, a, a, a great industrial nation. Um, we, we did a huge electrification effort, and we need to do that again. So, so this idea of blaming Bitcoin or computers using electricity conflates the problem. We need to stay focused on what climate, what the climate change problem is, and that is fossil fuel being burned. And let me get back to this this uh, other question: um, How do we go through this transition? Um, I, th I think uh, we need to do it in, in baby steps. You know, you know, as a as a senator on the floor, my primary objective objective will always be to bring Bitcoin, make it legal tender. That's going to be my number one objective, always. Um, but you know, 
in a knife fight, you, you don't just go for the heart, right? You, you got to do some slashing and, and, you know, you know, stabbing the extremities and letting some, your opponent bleed out a little bit before you go for the kill. You know, sharks do the same thing. And, and really what we need to do is we got to it, it pro- progressively reduce the taxes on Bitcoin transactions. And then when people are actually using it and familiar with it and knowing how fast it is and, and how it's, um, it's effectively free and effectively immediate in terms of your transactions, uh, when they become familiar with it, uh, making Bitcoin legal tender at that point will just be, well, of course, it's obvious we need to do this to be competitive in the world. You know, uh, global workforce isn't just our workforce isn't just in the United States, but it's a mesh all over the world. And uh, Bitcoin greatly facilitates mm-hmm. those that that uh, workforce, especially with microtransactions. You know, the U.S. dollars can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's that's now, the strategy. I want to right. How do you think about the timeline here for some of these events? You've mentioned this two hundred dollar bill. You mentioned the six hundred dollar bill. Um, your goal is to make Bitcoin legal tender and to eliminate taxes, capital gains tax entirely on it. Um, what do you think of if you have to kind of make predictions or think about how long this takes as a process? What kind of timeline do you put on those the intermediate steps, and then and then your your final goal of making Bitcoin legal tender? Um, I, I think realistically, it's probably going to take two terms to make it legal tender. I think making it, uh, you know, getting rid of the taxes on on Bitcoin so that we can do day to day transactions, uh, easily done in the the first term easily. And you know what's cool about that is. Legal tender, like when I was in El Salvador and I was talking to the merchants down there, it's like, hey, we're being forced to accept Bitcoin. What if we don't want to accept Bitcoin? Well, we, we really don't need a, a revolution. We need, we need an evolution. And if they just simply have that option where it's like, oh, I can do a transaction. I don't have a taxable event. That's great. You're making life easier for the merchants. Uh, whereas if you're going directly to legal tender, then you're forcing people to adapt, adopt a, a, a transaction method that they may not want. You know, it's, if it's legal tender, you have to, by decree, you have to do it. And uh, so I, I think it, mm. it, it really, if you jump right to legal tender right from the very beginning, uh, rather than doing baby steps and doing a little horse trading, uh, these baby steps are actually, uh, is, is better for everyone. And so, yeah, hmm. we need to, we need to we need to get rid of the taxes on, on these Bitcoin transactions, and then when everyone is familiar with it and the systems are out there and they're readily available, well, then it becomes just obvious. Well, of course, we're going to have Bitcoin as legal tender. I mean, why is that such a radical idea? But 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 the goal the goal to really accelerate our economy, repair the, our monetary system, accelerate our digital trans. Information of, of STEM, uh, you know, I'm a privacy advocate. Also, uh, restore, you know, we, these CBDCs that are there that are being being looked at thanks to the executive order recently. That we have to have a digital U.S. dollar. This is surveillance coin. This is, you know, this is Beijing CCP kind of stuff. You know, Chinese Communist Party stuff. Uh, this is the 
the fifth item in the platform of the Communist Manifesto, you know, where you start centralizing credit. Uh, it's, it's to me, it, it's scary, and I, I will do everything to, to fight uh, fight the CBDCs. We don't need it. Lightning Network is great. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about UBI, universal basic income, and so on. Um, I, I I will not agree with that that if it is, if it's being done on a CBDC. But you know, I'll certainly uh, be uh, if we can do it over the Lightning Network. You know, where we could do daily UBI for those people that are in, in need, rather than these costly social programs that have a lot of overhead. You know, I think that's a real opportunity for reducing, uh, you know, federal overhead. Um, mm-hmm. Make make our systems. I know. I know you mentioned one other. You have one other. There's one other point you wanted to mention um, earlier on. You mentioned. Uh, homelessness and real estate and how that is integrated with Bitcoin. Can you explain that? I know we only have a few more minutes, but can you explain that connection between real estate being monetized, homelessness, and how Bitcoin can help solve some of these issues? Yeah, that, that's that's not an easy topic. I mean, uh, I get into that. Uh, you know, first of all, like, let me give you an example. Our equities, you know, stocks, they've been monetized. A normal five to price to earnings ratio, five years, you know, hey, you're going to make an investment, five years, you're going to get it all back. But on some of these PE ratios, they're like 50, you know? I mean, who in the right mind is going to invest some money and expect to make, you know, get 100% of it back in 50 years? So the reason why people are doing that is because they're trying to keep their money from being debased, inflated, you know, melting like a ice cube. So they're 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 cashing in their fiat and they're buying things to, to protect it. So that's that's what I mean by monetizing. And other people, I'm just using their book definition. Monetizing our equities, our stocks, but um, but also as we monetize our assets and they go up. Uh, this is the reason why engineering design and is flowing to other countries because they can operate, they can do their design, their manufacturing, their engineering cheaper in other countries. So this, this you know, exporting our, our U.S. treasuries is at, an, at an increasing rate because we can just print it out of thin air. Um, you know, our, our financial class has grown from 5%, which is normal, to 20%. And so all we have to do is print money. So, yeah, our, our manufacturing, our engineering, our design keeps on flowing. We can reverse that if we demonetize a lot of these assets and, and have fair market value for them. Uh, but but uh, you know our fiat debasement is distorting all of all of these prices, uh, real price signals, and so let's let's talk about homes. Well, the boomers love love it when stocks go up. They've been going up thanks to this money printing. We're, we're socializing the bankruptcies of of the of you know the zombie companies of of uh, you know the two thousand eight two thousand nine crises. We don't allow the big banks to go bankrupt. Uh, Airlines, we socialize those bankruptcies. So, so yeah, equities go up. Housing prices always go up because we have a huge U.S. debt, and they got to keep the taxes coming in. So the Fed is going to come in and and do more quantitative easing, and at an you know instead of billions of dollars, we're talking trillions of dollars now. So it keeps accelerating. It's ten years from now, it's going to be, you know, perhaps an order of magnitude worse. It's not sustainable. So we're going to we're going to go through a, a real problem in the future. But if we were to demonetize housing and um, 
let me give you an example. You know, in Vancouver, Canada, they have a lot of um, people from China buying homes, and they're just they're just staying empty. They they they're doing the same thing in China. They they build these ghost towns, and it's how they store money to as a store of wealth. And and so yeah, a lot of these homes, these big beautiful homes in Vancouver, Canada, are empty. And then there's people homeless on the streets, and and you know, both scenarios are, are are growing. So if you demonetize that and you bring down the value, uh, you know the millennials will have affordable housing, and that's why I say you know building affordable housing is really symbolic. It, it's political. Um, it, it it only impacts a small fraction of the homeless people, but if you demonetize the housing, uh, that impacts mil- millions of people and when i was growing up you know we we didn't have people camping out on the sidewalks you know it, it was a different story uh, housing wasn't monetized you you it was a free market system uh, but with this this you know debasement of, of the currency and people using their homes as, as, a, as a lifeboat against inflation uh, well, Bitcoin is going to prove out to be a better store of wealth. It's going to be a better lifeboat. And uh, and so mm-hmm. we will, by fixing the, the, the broken monetary system, it will be the best way to address the growing homeless problem that we have here in the United States. Mm. I really appreciate that perspective. I think that's uh, something that a lot of people don't quite clue into because real estate for the longest time has been has been deemed this asset that's just going to continue going up and it's it's promoted as the safe asset and the thing that you gotta everyone has to have a house everyone has to buy one and i i think i think you're right i think you're on something here where it's it's not uh you know if you demonetize it and if you if you find a better place to store wealth all of a sudden home prices come down people stop using them as a tool to store wealth and they start using them as a consumption item for having a shelter and a home and a, a roof over their head as yeah. it was intended. Um, so, yeah, yeah, fascinating perspective. Um, Boomers are, you know, they're going to, it's convenient for them not to understand Bitcoin. You know, they, they like their housing, uh, their homes to just keep on going up in value. They love it when their stocks just keep on going up in value, you know, far beyond free market, you know, price to earnings, um, Mm-hmm. real valuations uh, but but this artificial uh, you know economy that we have now this synthetic gdp that we keep on um doing at an accelerated rate just so that uh <laughs> we can somehow continue to print money um and and have centralized control of of supporting these programs you know, it's not fair to the to the next generation. It, it, it's just we've spent their future, and now it's it's obviously mm. catching up to us. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of worrying, but I'm glad it's happening at a time when there is a system now being built where you can kind of take control of your money. You can make sure you're not um, having your your wealth eaten away by inflation or, or by some other factor. Um, and I think that. I think that Bitcoin is offering hope for the next generation. Um, real quick, before we go, where can people go to learn more about you, uh, your campaign, 
And when when is this uh, election coming up? Okay, uh, August 2nd is going to be the primary, and I really need your support. Uh, if you're a U.S. citizen, please go to solston.org. There's a, there's a donation button there. You can read about my platform there. Um, it's um, a lot of stuff we talked about today. Also, I recommend going to um, not only solston.org, but go to xenimal.xyz and go to use cases. And also, if you want to, let's say, spend 100 hours and really become a Bitcoiner, really understand what this stuff is about, go to my references. And that's where I have links to, you know, Greg Foss's paper. Um, it's a free link. Uh, you know, Jeff Booth's book. There's a Michael Saylor uh, video that's very good there. Uh, and I have a few other links there. But there's, there's 100 hours worth of work there. And if you go through that, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I will leave links to all that in the show notes for listeners and, uh, all the best with the upcoming election. I, I can't wait to follow along. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate this. Welcome to the lightning round presented by voltage voltage is the industry leading provider of Bitcoin and lightning node infrastructure. In fact, many of your favorite apps and services already use voltage to scale their business quickly and easily without maintenance. Voltage also offers an inbound liquidity product called Flow, which helps you as a node operator get inbound liquidity easily. Overall, Voltage is creating the industry standard suite of non-custodial products, helping brands, engineers, and startups scale. To learn more about Voltage, visit voltage.cloud. Lightning round, here we go. In the last seven days, you guys have sent in 37,347 sats. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are very close to crossing the 500,000 sat marker, a uh, big milestone for the show, and hopefully I can announce that we pass that uh, next episode. Um, 24 of you have sent in sats in the last seven days. There were 35 messages, some of those from previous episodes. We've been churning them out pretty quick. Um, but I'm going to go into the comment section on Fountain, and I'm just going to read through the top comments. We got 11 comments on the last episode. Uh, Jeffrey says, the earliest days of a community forming are the best of days. Let's enjoy it, boys. This comment feature is going to be fire. I couldn't agree more, Jeffrey. I think this is really cool to see an organic adoption here. There's no added token. There's no unsustainable incentives. This is all just people expressing their value through sats really cool to see and uh yeah again i can't thank you guys enough for participating and uh bringing this to life i think this is a really cool uh use case that we can point to now here we have you know 11 comments on this show and people are sending in sats i go i look over at my like web 2 content i look over at youtube i post these on youtube as well i got one comment on the last video and i, I don't even think it earned a dollar in YouTube ad revenue. Um, so it's really cool to see this come to life and uh, how engaged everyone is on this on on lightning podcasting. Um, Peter sends in a comment says big congrats to the team over at Fountain loving the comment section. They crushed it with this one. It's uh, and I know it's only gonna get better from here. They're they're cranking out tons of stuff all the time. Um, I'm excited to see what they roll out next. Uh, Rollator sends in 2000 sats and says great content and amazing interview skills. 
Also love the selection of guests you have on. I appreciate the kind words. Um, just starting to get the hang. I feel a little more comfortable interviewing people now uh, that have gone through 30 episodes, but I wouldn't say by any means I'm an expert. I appreciate the kind words though. Uh, y sends in a comment, says fire episode, and then a follow-up comment that says cool contest. Can you hold another contest soliciting best ideas for using sats to gamify the user experience? Maybe reward any ideas that actually get trialed. Also love the interactive comment format, um, but I'll be curious to see how removing the boost button affects the podcast revenue. And then he says, scratch that, the boost button is still intact. Yeah, the comments are just kind of a new, new tab there. Um, but I like this idea of uh, soliciting ideas for using sats to kind of gamify the user experience. Um, I'll think more about that. And uh, if anyone has ideas of any kind, feel free to send them as comments. I, I read them off, I think through them all. Um, if I do implement something that a listener sends in, I'm, I'm more than happy to send in uh, some sats to, to show my appreciation. This is, you know, value for value works both ways. So, um, you know, if there's an idea you guys wanna see or uh, you wanna suggest a guest and I end up inviting the guest on, uh, I wanna thank you guys for, um, for, you know, providing value to me as well, right? Um, next comment comes in from anonymous user they say keep up the great work send in 500 sats thank you we got lots more content coming up shortly um y also sends in another comment that says ownership aspect is powerful once splitting gets set up you could sell a five percent split on your show for a given number of episodes to the highest bidder and jeffrey replies to that comment says i'm 100 percent sure this is going to happen I think this is, there's some really interesting stuff that can be done with splitting. One of the first things that I want to do right now, it's a little bit, a little bit tricky and it's not always super convenient to add in new splits on every episode. But again, this is, I think something the fountain team's working on and I know this is going to get better over time. I really want to get to the point where every episode I can invite the, the host or sorry, I can invite a guest to set up a fountain account in two seconds have them send me their fountain username, and then I can instantly insert that username as a split in the show, and then all the stats that come in are 50-50 split between me and the guest. And then we can add in additional splits as well. Um, you know, we can add in sponsor splits, we can add in fountain takes a split, podcast index takes a split. There's, there's people who are already splitting four or five, six different ways um, in their shows, and I think there's gonna be a lot of cool innovation happening here and then everyone can see where all the funds are flowing it's really cool to be able to watch sats move in real time and know who they're going to uh y also sends in another message and said yes gamification is in the dna of bitcoin uh and bobby sends in a message as well says let's go take my three sats thank you bobby we are three sats closer to five hundred thousand. um thank you all for sending in the, uh, it was 11 comments on that last episode. Let's see if we can beat it uh, this episode. And uh, I've got lots more content coming up. So let me know if you have any questions or comments and I'll get to them in tomorrow's episode. Talk soon.